0: God, we thank you for this time. Use it to bring your name glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I give you three things, three things that black folks are known for. I know, I know you're going to say, well, wait, there's so many more, Pastor, and you're right. But let me, let me just give you three that black people are known for. Black folks is known for cooking, dancing, and singing. Cooking, dancing, and singing. Now, now let's let's just be real for a second, all right? Don't get too angry with me, but let's just be real. You go to a black person's house for dinner or you go to a barbecue and you know you expect the food to be banging. You expect a, a really good meal because after all, black folks have been making something out of nothing. That's the whole premise of soul food, taking the scraps, flavoring it and seasoning it and making it something that's fit for a king or or maybe when it comes to dance you know that all you need is a little bit of a beat and black people are going to start moving you could be getting your groceries at the line it's like beep 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 you know like we don't we don't need much to get to kicking it and so when it comes to songs, songs is that thing that can that can that can almost like a, a, a certain song can allow you to escape, can take you to a different place. Maybe you've been working out or maybe you've been on the bus and you had on your headphones and while you was jamming, you almost forgot that anyone else was around and you slipped into this other place. A song singing can take you there. And so I was, I was shocked when I found out that not everybody had the bonding experience that I thought that I had with the greater white America. I thought that I had a bond with white people that was universal from white people to black people. I was an elementary school student in my chair and every Sunday morning at Superior Elementary in East Cleveland, this all black elementary, all black, only with some sprinkles of white teachers and white administration, no white students, all black. And every morning we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. And we would repeat the Pledge of Allegiance. And then our school got some TVs and the TVs showed white people, white kids my own age saying the Pledge of Allegiance. So I'm like, cool, we all doing this. And then after the Pledge of Allegiance ended, they would turn off the TV and then we would sing a song. We would sing, lift every voice and sing. And I assumed that. Maybe just the people in other places couldn't sing. Maybe they couldn't hold a note. So they turned off the TV so that we couldn't hear them. But I just knew we did a pledge of allegiance. We did lift every voice and sing that they were singing it, too. And so it was to my shock, to my dismay, to my disbelief That when I talked to white people that began to be friends of mine and we would talk about life and stuff. And I'm sharing with my brothers and sisters that are Asian and all these different cultures. That they didn't grow up singing, lift every voice and sing. Whether it was in school or whether it was in church or whether it was in a, a big event that that had black people lift every voice and sing was a part of it. But I realized that that maybe even though they didn't have that exposure, that that didn't change the heart of this this song that was birthed in black culture, that that this song that was a song of hope, this song that had the audacity to believe in a world that would be pleasing to God, this song that had its construction in something that was so identifiable by black people, but a pain that was understood by all. This song was speaking to all nations, all cultures, all races. And so I want you to dive in with me. Would you look with me and see if you can identify some of the the themes and some of the lyrics that show us how God was moving? Look with me at the first stanza. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. That first stanza is noted by the United Methodist Church as a resounding hymn of praise, full of rich metaphors, such as harmonies of liberty or rejoicing loud as the rolling sea. But do you know what a, a harmony of liberty is? Liberty, this, this, this concept, this word that means a state of being free within society, from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or politics. Liberty is, is, is no constraints. It's doing your thing. It's living your life and not having anyone hating on you. No obstacles, no hurdles, no impediments to your joy, to our joy. I was listening to a uh, a professor, explain how, uh, through voting, liberties have been stolen, liberties have been oppressed. Dr. Carol Anderson, a professor at Emory Emory University, shared uh, uh, this expression from her book, One Purpose, No Vote. She said, Alabama said, you got to have a government-issued photo ID. Then they said, But your public housing I.D. doesn't count. Alabama has a lots of public housing. Seventy one percent of those in public housing are African-American. For many, that's the only I.D. that they have. Then Alabama shut down the DMV in the Black Belt counties. So now people have to go 50 miles to get a driver's license. But if you don't drive, how are you going to go 50 miles? And you don't have public transportation. What they do is they create an obstacle and then they create an obstacle to the obstacle and they make it so difficult for people who are already working their hardest to make it to now be able to just access their basic right to vote. You see, that's that's a a more recent history that she has looked at as it looks at certain political parties and the, the, the methods that they use. But this has been all political parties in the history of black people. There were no political parties that stood up and said, we got you. Both all parties brought forth obstacles to the obstacles of black people. And so a harmony of liberty means an expression that is that is removing all oppression, all authority that seeks to hinder me experiencing the full joy that God would have. And James Weldon Johnson penned it well. That we all need our voices to lift up and be a part of that liberty. Continue with me and. In, in 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 knowing that that's a part of our dark past. But I love that James Weldon Johnson doesn't just let this be a historical piece that looks at the pain that took place. He also looks to the future. Our dark past won't stop us. It won't stop us from hoping and believing in a better tomorrow. And those pains can't contain our hope. And so we lift our voices. Continue with me in the second stanza. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our people sighed. We have come over a way that with the tears that has been watered, we've come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. Out from the gloomy past. Till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. Reminds you of of Psalm 30, Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. This this second stanza is a is a a, a posture of seeking God, of, of longing for him to act redemptively. It is a lament. Stony the rod we trod, bitter the chastening rod. We got to be, be careful when we think of these, these terms and sing past them. Because while the crux is hope, there's been a, a pain that's been endured and that it's been experienced a painful reminder of, of whips and rods that sought to, to reset a people's mindset and place them in a, an entire system of fear. But liberty, but liberty frees us from fear, frees us from pain. We won't forget. But we won't let it stop and contain our hope. And so whether it's The gloomy past or us understanding that the bright star is is either this star that's the north star that guides our way or the gloomy past moves and we can see with clarity either way. There is a hope that cannot be contained. And so we lift every voice. Continue with me in in the final stanza. The final stanzas is often uh, uh, thought of as a, as a prayer. As uh, the UMC states, it culminates in the petitions of keep us forever in the path. We pray. May we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. Hear these last words at a stanza. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, though thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into that light. Keep us forever in the path, we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we meet thee. Lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. There's two elements that you will find present within spirituals, whether a spiritual that is cultivated uh, out in the fields or a spiritual that's cultivated in the classroom. There are two elements that you find within a spiritual. The first is that it's rooted in God. Not this new kind of spiritual thing where to be spiritual means that that you serve an undefined God with undefined ways in which you're supposed to speak with them. So as long as you connect it to a higher power, you cool. No, baby, that's not spirituality and that's not the spirituality of your ancestors. This spirituality, this spiritual rooting is in the God of the Bible. Jesus, who died on the cross to save a wretch like you and me, the God as referenced in the scriptures, the Holy Bible. And so this is where the people's hope was, faith was belief in something that they could not see. But there's a second element of spirituals, because you got to remember, spirituals were birthed in an environment of opposition. And so you couldn't just come out and say what you wanted to say. You had to be slick. (laughs) And if it's one thing that you know about black culture, we know how to be slick. And so as as Professor uh, Imani Perry says, there was this double entendre or a double meaning that you find within each song. Take the last phrase, she says, true to our native land. If you talk to some people, they think it refers to the U.S. Others think it refers to Africa. So it literally is a song that expresses the double consciousness that W.E.B. Du Bois described of being black and yet also American. And so the title really gets at the idea of black Americans standing at the crossroads of identity and history. It's this double meaning that you find in spirituals. And so it's rooted in God, double meaning. And, it, and, 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 and we're grateful that, that James Weldon Johnson penned this. He allowed music to express our, the, the passions. He allowed it to express the sadness. He allowed us to respect, express the joy and hope. And that's all a part of the, the black experience. But it's not just the black experience. Spirituals are for the spirit. Spirituals are for humans. spirituals are for whether you are brown, black, yellow, white, and spirituals speak to your spirit. Here's an example of this taking place in the Bible. If you can, turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus, we see a similar occurrence. Moses has led the people uh, uh, and, and he's led them to follow God's ways. They put their trust in God and God shows up and shows out. He he takes them through some challenges and walks with them, but they overcome adversity as they cling to God who shows up in some miraculous ways. In in chapter 14, verse 30, 31, it says uh, Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Pharaoh was the oppressive. If you have an idea of what oppression looks like, Pharaoh was it. But then the Lord uses this this thing that seems so simple. He uses this this thing that you walk past probably time and time again. He uses this sea as a means of freeing his people. And so the, the people of God walk through the Red Sea Dry land. Being saved by their savior and their enemy tries to follow in. The waters overtake them. And so right after that experience, the people are now grateful, saved. What does Moses do? Moses. Writes a song. Exodus chapter 15 It's actually. Actually, he he wrote a poem. And it says this. Look, look at the first two verses with me. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song that he wrote, and then they sang it together. It says, I will sing this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he is thrown into sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. In those first two verses, how many times do you see a reference to God's name? First two verses, how many times you see a reference to God's name? It's a it's it's tough to see it in our English language. But when you look at the languages that are underneath English, uh, there's different words that describe God. God has different names and we see all three names just in these two verses. We see El used, which means God that is mighty, strong. We also see Elohim. Which is the God, which which means creator that is mighty and strong. We see Elohim used when in in Genesis when when creation takes place. And lastly, we see Yahweh used. This name specifies an an immediacy. The, The presence is right there, tangible and felt. He is accessible. And so in just two verses, you get three entrances into understanding this beautiful God, that he's mighty and strong, creator of all things and is present intimately with us. And they sing out about his holy name. Continue with me. Verse three, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts. He cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. You see that referencing history, referencing the pain, referencing the people that caused pain. And what God did, the floods covered them. Verse five, they went down into the depths like a stone. Scroll down with me. Verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Scroll down to 17. You will bring them in, plant them on your mountain, on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever. Do you see this this vision of hope after coming through a traumatic situation and speaking out as to what God brought them from, but also excited about what he's bringing them to? This ain't just James Weldon Johnson. This is biblical. This is how we as the people of God operate. But notice, a praise fest breaks out. Then in verse 20, Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. They started getting it. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he has thrown them into the sea. I could just imagine a a call and response. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Y'all know I can't sing, but hey, you there with me? You can just imagine the people celebrating what God has done. You can imagine James Weldon Johnson, who probably can still look in the eyes of his parents or his grandparents, whose hands are battered from, from, from slavery and from experiencing pulling cotton or some other type of thing. And now he gets to write a letter as a freed man. As a man that looks back at the past, but is hopeful for the future. I'm curious to know, family, in the chat. If you could just in three words tell us an event that's praiseworthy of a song from your life. Come on now. What's something that happened in your life that that was so praiseworthy that it would have been cool for you to just come out with a song and start singing God's glory? After how he brought you through. But there's that double meaning, right? There's a double meaning. There's the lift every voice. Because there's a double meaning here, too. And I, this is my personal interpretation of the double meaning. There's lift every voice, a command for each of you to voluntarily lift your voice. For each of us to to go ahead and share our voice and let it sing out. But then there's also. The command to lift every voice, the command for you to lift all voices, to make sure that no voice is left behind. So you do something voluntarily, but then you also go and make sure that the voices of others are lifted. That's the only way we achieve true liberty, right, is is if we do it together. Black folks, it can't be at the demise of other people that if we get authority, we then begin to put down, beat down and crush other folks in the way that we've been oppressed. That's not liberty. That's retaliation. And so we, like Christ, Know that it takes all of us, one body, lifting our voice. And so there's an example of this. We like to, in the black community, call ourselves queens and kings, right? Here's an example of a, of, of a kingly experience in Proverbs 31. It's usually thought of as like, you know, thinking of like the Proverbs 31 woman. Well, the first nine verses is a little bit different. There's actually a king named Lemuel. And this king is wise. That's why it's in the, the book of Proverbs. But he's wise because he listens to wise counsel. And the wisest counsel in his life is from a woman, prominent woman in his life, his mother. In verses one through seven, his mother tells him, hey, this is what you don't do. Don't be out sleeping around. Don't be out getting drunk. But then in verses eight and nine, she tells them what to do. Look with me in Proverbs 31, verse eight and nine. She says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. She says, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Some of your versions might say, speak up. Speak up for the mute. Speak up and defend the poor, the rights of the poor and the needy. I can hear James Weldon Johnson saying, lift your voice. Lift your voice. Let your voice be heard, but also lift your voice to lift up another. Lift up so that we all together as a family, together as a unit, together as one, bring forth the harmony and liberty that we all should be experiencing. Lift up every voice. And so. We are called. This double way. Of seeing the, 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 the lift every voice be a challenge to you and a challenge to us to lift others up. Something beautiful. And I'm, and I'm encouraged by this poem Brother, Brother Weldon wrote. I asked y'all to share a couple of a couple of ways that 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 a couple of situations that took place where where you had a praise worthy song that you should have wrote from something that you got through. CJ says, Or sorry, that wasn't CJ. It says someone says, hey, I survived. Amen. Freedom from my past. Amen. Me passing all my classes with a B or higher. Amen. Write that song out. I'm coming from the hood and attaining two college degrees and have a son raised in the same hood to attain two college degrees. Come on. We got reasons to write. That's rare in this hood. But God. You see, when we stop and look at James Weldon Johnson, he was only doing what we get a chance to do today. Putting words to to God, bringing us through something, but also giving us hope for something. And so maybe the way you lift up your voice takes place in a personal, intimate time. But maybe the way you lift up others. I don't don't know exactly what that's going to look like for you. Some of you, it's going to be public, a public way of lifting up others. I want to bring you to a a statue that was made by Augusta Savage. Augusta Savage was a friend of James Weldon Johnson, the writer of Lift Every Voice and Sing. Augusta Savage was an artist. And she created this, this beautiful statue called lift every voice and sing and uh the new york historical society museum the library said this about what she created it says lift every voice and sing is a signature work by harlem renaissance artist activist and educator augusta savage it takes the form of a harp a kneeling man holding a rectangular plate represents the foot pedal The folds of choir robes worn by 12 stylized young black singers in graduated heights form the strings of the harp and the hand and arm of God stand in for the sounding board. The composition casts the singers as instruments of God and in doing so highlights the religiosity of its source material. She was good friends with James Weldon Johnson and what he wrote inspired her to inspire others. This 16 foot sculpture was extraordinary accomplishment that defied systemic period sexism and the institutionalized racism of Jim Crow. It was the only commissioned piece at the 1939 World's Fair from a black woman artist. The sculpture stood prominently near the entrances to the fair in the Court of the Contemporary Arts Building, one of the most popular works of the art fair, and it was seen by only five, by over five million visitors that had come that day, and they praised and praised and praised it. That went went viral, right? But it was destroyed. It was destroyed because Augustus Savage's reality was one of poverty. And so even though a brilliant sculptor and artist, she could not afford to make the bronze molding that would allow her to make more. She could not afford a studio. And so when the fair was over, without the funds to be able to retrieve this 16 foot beautiful image, bulldozers came and destroyed it you see there's this harmony of liberty where where we all get to experience a a sense of joy and peace and when that is robbed we all have to say in what way do i make sure that my voice lifts up and i lift up others maybe it's through a public work of art maybe it's through your business maybe it's through I don't know how he's going to use you, but he's, but I love the challenge to lift every voice. But maybe you're one person that, that isn't as public with your lifting of every voice. Maybe you're a bit more private and we have a biblical example of that private lifting up as well. Look with me in Luke chapter one, and this will be our last example of seeing the lifting up of another, lifting up every voice. Luke chapter one. Mary has had this this beautiful experience with with an angel and uh, this angel uh, says to her in verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And so after this Angelic experience, Mary goes and visits her cousin. Sits down. Starts talking with her cousin, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth tells her about what what the baby and Elizabeth done. As soon as Mary hit the dough, baby jumps and leaps. And then Elizabeth says these words in verse 42. She says something to lift up Mary. She says, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, sometimes the way we lift every voice happens publicly by what we create for all to see. But sometimes it happens personally as we allow our words to pour into and celebrate and lift up another. And how does Mary respond after hearing these words from her cousin? Verse 46, same chapter. Mary responds with something called the Magnificat, which is a song. Which means magnify the Lord. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. Do you see how Mary breaks out into song? She 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 has her voice lifted by her cousin and it leads her to lift her voice. Family, I don't know if it's going to be a public display of lifting your voice. I don't know if it's going to be a private display of lifting your voice. All I know is lifting our voice can bring God glory, can bring God joy, can encourage one another to fight this fight. To to push through on these stony roads that we have ahead because we still Have a journey ahead of us. Martin Luther King said, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment. Or the smallest act of just caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. Let's lift each other up. Let's lift every voice and sing. And so lastly, this question was posed. This question was posed, is lift every voice and sing for everyone? Or is this for blacks alone? Dr. The United Methodist Church reflected on this as they posed this question to a ton of people. Dr. James Abington, uh, associate professor of musical worship at Candler Theology in Atlanta, he, 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 he reflected on this and he gave an answer to the question. He said several years ago, I was invited to organize and conduct a 1000 voice choir for the annual Detroit branch NAACP Freedom Front dinner at then Cobo Hall. It was during the time of the Persian Gulf War and tensions were very high between Jewish and Arab communities in the city. The thousand voice choir accompanied by the Detroit Symphony Orchestra was made up of Anglo-Americans, Canadians, Native Americans, Koreans, Italian, Jews, Arabs, African-Americans and others. And Lift Every Voice and Sing was one of the selections for that occasion. After the first rehearsal, Jewish, Korean, And Native American members of the chorus approached me and said, this song isn't just for African-Americans and for people from Africa. It belongs to all of us who are true to our God and true to our native land. Do you see that power? The power that God can can birth something in a black experience and it be such a connecting way of black people to identify and realize and resound and and feel connected. But it doesn't stop with the borders of blackness. It it rolls on to connect all people who are willing to be true. All people who recognize that there is a a harmony of liberty that is to be experienced. And if your voice isn't present, we don't achieve the harmony. And if their voice and their voice and their voice is not present, we don't achieve the harmony. And so my family. There's an offer to you. If you are a person Who says, I get that, I hear that, it all sounds good, Pastor. But yet you're not realizing the importance of being true to God, you miss it all. Don't elevate the human experience over the spiritual one, don't elevate peace in our community. Don't elevate um, um, social injustices. Don't elevate racism. Don't elevate all of these different things over your spiritual peace in God. Because it is the foundation by which we're able to dismantle all of the other oppressions. If you are not spiritually true to God. Then you're being deceived. And family, we want you to know Christ. And so we invite you today, if you would like to know God and you feel like like if you were present today, you would come down the aisle and say, I don't know a bunch about Jesus, but I know what you shared today is something that I feel God calling me to. I want to follow God. And we would ask you to pray this prayer this prayer that helps make sure you understand that Jesus died so that the pain that you experience, the oppression you experience, and the oppression that you give others, you can be free from. That He died so that sin would not continue to wreak havoc in our lives. He died to set us free from it and that we get a chance to walk with God Not it doesn't mean every day is going to be perfect and you're going to be blameless. But it does mean God will be with you as you begin to look, feel, grow to being more like him. If that's what you want to pray today, pray with me. Lord, forgive me. I have not followed your ways. But I want to. I may not know how. But I believe you died. So I could experience freedom. And I'll put my trust in you. In Jesus name. Amen. If that is the prayer you've prayed today, we we celebrate with angels that 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 you are now in the family of God. If that's a prayer you prayed, that was heartfelt, not just the words, but that you meant it. And we are excited to celebrate you and the family of Christ and we want to invite you to a Zoom time afterwards with me that will allow you to understand what it looks like to walk with the Lord that much more. But if you are a person that is, that is already walking in Christ and with Christ, then I think we have a, a fair challenge. What do our public lifting of our voices look like? Might it mean that some things we hold valuable get destroyed for the sake of seeing our voice lift up in the public sphere? If so, then so be it. But it also might mean that our words are restorative and come alongside those that are hurting and we Lift every voice together. This is a song that that is not a reflective song. It is a song that challenges us to act. And so my question to you is not a command to tell you how to do it. It's more of a, and how will you act? Let us pray, family, as we are called to lift every voice and sing. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for using people throughout time to spur us on to you, to remind us of the God we get to serve, to remind us to be true to you. May we come to understand how to do that with more clarity because you are the star that guides and leads us. Let us submit to your leading. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let us do it together. Amen.